Imagine if you could overhear private, unfiltered conversations between the world's most influential and inspirational women. Now you can. Welcome to Leadership Global, where you'll hear from inspiring leaders who will help you define your vision, grow your leadership, expand your influence, and increase your impact to leave a lasting legacy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Lead Her Ship Global episode. So glad all of you are with us today. And we have an extra special guest with us, Kim Adele Platt. She is a leadership coach, a best-selling author, and a keynote speaker. And today, Kim is going to be speaking to us about reframing in just three simple steps how you can begin the process of reframing. And let me tell you a little bit about what that means. As we shift our thinking about a situation, there's actually a change in emotional tone and the meaning that we give to our life's circumstances. And we can choose to move our experience from a negative frame to a more hopeful frame filled with opportunities. And that's what we mean by reframing. This process of reframing actually allows us to have an expanded view of our reality. And so one of the skills to help us develop as mature, resilient individuals is that of reframing. When we can change our point of view on any given situation, the facts will remain the same, but there is a deliberate shift in how we see it. So reframing allows us to see something in a new way, in a new context that allows us to recognize and appreciate the positive aspects of our situation. Reframing actually helps us use whatever life hands us as an opportunity to be taken advantage of rather than a problem to be avoided. So breakdowns are transformed into challenges and new possibilities to experience life more fully and to become a more whole human being. Today, Kim Adele Platt's leadership coach, best-selling author, keynote speaker, will explain how we can replace dismal, energy-stealing thoughts into more responsible ones, such as I think there must be something important for me to learn here. So in just three easy steps, Kim will explain how to reframe problems as challenges and even move challenges into opportunities. Remember, reframing is not a denial of the challenges we face, but rather it's simply a way of reframing that challenge so that although we recognize circumstances can be fraught with hardship, we can learn to trust that good results can come. So with that, let me tell you just a moment about Kim Adele. Kim is at the leading edge of championing the human spirit, both individually and organizationally for 21st century board and C-suite level leaders. She is a renowned leadership coach, an international best-selling author, an inspirational keynote speaker, a master coach, and she couples 25 years in the corporate world with lessons that she's garnered throughout her amazing and unique life story to help others achieve sustainable transformation for professional and personal success. Her journey has taken her from hairdressing 
to the boardroom. Kim is also a non-exec director with IOD, Academy Trust, and Mary's Meals. Welcome, Kim Adele. Oh, Linda, bless you. Thank you so much for such a great welcome and for letting me be part of such an amazing global community in Leadership Global. It's just such a fantastic network and community of supportive women helping each other and holding each other up, which I love. Um, So thank you for, one, creating it and, two, enabling me to be part of it. Oh, gosh, Kim, it is our honor and privilege to have you in the Leadership Global community. And thank you so much for joining us today, Kim. I can't wait to dive into this conversation about reframing. But first, tell us a little bit about your journey. What's led you to have such passion around developing high-performing executive leaders? Yeah, it's been it's been a fascinating journey. So I obviously I journeyed from hairdresser to, to corporate CEO and I struggled with my own inner imposter for a lot of years, thinking that at some point they were going to turn around and go, oh my goodness, we put the hairdresser on the board, get her off. <laughs> and obviously they never did. Um, but it was always my biggest fear. And I then started to look at, well, hold on, how do I keep getting these accolades? I won leader of the year. People kept inviting me back to come and do transformational change. And I realized that one of the things that I learned as a hairdresser was actually really relevant as a leader, because at our basic, we want to be listened to, we want to be understood, and we want to be respected. And as a leader, that's our job, is how do we listen to our people? How do we understand them? And how do we respect them? doesn't mean to say we don't disagree. We just don't disrespect. And I used to joke that I had hairdresser face. People will literally tell me anything. You know, occasionally you're like, okay, you can stop now. I don't need to know that. <laughs> but they would literally tell me anything. But actually, in doing so, what you were able to do is understand what was really important to them and create a safe space. Over my career, I even had to do some of the most horrendous things. I've run seven major redundancy programs, and they are heartbreaking to do. And yet, despite that, I had people on the very last day coming and hugging me. And I was like, do you know I did this? And they were like, yeah, but you did it with respect and you listened to us and you held the space for us to talk about how it made us feel. And you also made us realize it wasn't about us, because that's one of the challenges when we go through a redundancy program, we make it about us. We assume it's because we're not good enough. We weren't qualified enough. We weren't a good enough worker. It's just not true. If you weren't good enough, you would already be performance managed. Redundancies happen because the organization couldn't trade its way out of the challenge. And unfortunately, it's not about you. It happens to you. And if we can actually stand in front of that as the leader, I know I did. I stood there and said, you know, the harsh reality is we're in this position because I couldn't lead us to a better outcome. And for that, I'm genuinely sorry. But you need to look me in the eye and know I'm really sorry that you are being impacted by this, but don't make it about you. Because if not, you will carry that into your future. And I think, you know, as the world continues to evolve, our ability to connect with people and ensure that they are not left damaged by challenging situations is crucial to leaders. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that we talked about is very top of the program is the fact that reframing is not a denial that bad things happen. It's not minimizing the challenges that we've been dealt. 
Um, we recognize in reframing that there are challenges. There are really difficult things that we have to face in life. And even though our circumstance may be fraught with hardship, we can still learn to trust that good results can come. So in that great example that you just gave us, Kim, where you actually had to be at the forefront of letting people go, and they then were, were faced with the prospect of unemployment, how did you help guide and direct them and your other clients into trusting that good results can come to reframe that situation from one that is you know, fraught with fear and anxiety and, again, maybe negative self-talk into a situation where they can see a likely good outcome? Yeah, it was a, I mean, it was a real opportunity to do that. A large part of it was making sure that the first thing that happens is they make it about them. So they start to go, you know, I feel like you don't want me to work with you. I don't want this. And it was about pulling that back and saying, I appreciate that's how it feels, but that's not what's happened. And one of the things I'm sure I drove them to distraction during the period, we were back in the days of like, you know, 90 day consultations. Um, and I was like, facts are your friend. Because what happens is, in the absence of fact, our, our subconscious brain creates a story. And the story is always by far more fascinating than the reality ever is. So it was kind of holding them back and saying, we're not there yet. Don't cross the bridge we've not come to. So the facts are your friends. And how do we hold you back in that? And talk about how you're feeling. Tell me what it feels like to be you right now. Get angry if you need to get angry. Get sad if you need to get sad. But be comfortable as the leader in holding a space for people to feel that emotion because locking it down doesn't help. And I think in doing so, and I was very fortunate, life has thrown me the odd um, plot twist <laughs> along the way. There's been plenty of opportunities for me to um, learn how to deal with challenges. And what I've identified in my own life is that actually, I now really do believe that everything in life is either a lesson, a blessing or both. Um, now, sometimes it doesn't feel like that. In my weakest moments, in my most melodramatic, when I thought I couldn't breathe because I didn't know how to go forward, I didn't know how to move on. Um, it didn't feel like much of a lesson or a blessing. But now when I look back, I realised that I was learning something. I was learning something about me and about what I should tolerate and not tolerate. I was also learning about how resilient I was and how I was able to move forward. And it, and it was really where I started to learn that reframe because for me, opportunity and challenge are just the same thing in a different dress. It's a little bit like a rat is a squirrel in a, sorry, a squirrel is a rat in a better fur coat. If we change the way that we look at it, we're not saying this isn't going to make us grow, but we grow through our lessons as much as we grow through our blessings. And it's about looking back and, and saying, actually, what is it I can do? And whenever I'm faced with those moments where I don't know how to do something, I look at what are the one or two things that I can do? So if I can't solve that, is there anything I can do? And you know, I love a quote. Um, this one happens to come from Frozen too, but it's about doing the next right thing. I might not be able to solve the whole challenge, but if I can keep moving forward, no matter how small, then I change my vantage point and therefore something else may come into view. So what I did was I 
particularly when I was suffering from my own inner imposter. So why do I do this? Why am I so mean to myself? Why do I use language on myself that I would just never dream of using on another human being? Um, And for me, my breakthrough came at a very, very personal moment in my life. So I had an illness that I wasn't certain I was going to survive. And my little girl wasn't quite one. And the thought of not being around to share all the love and support and guidance and belief in her was quite literally breathtaking. And I went to write her the letter, you know, the letter that shares your whole dreams for your child and all of the advice and support. And I was like, where do you even start that letter? And I had no idea. So I crept into her room and there she was fast asleep, snoring away, Teddy under her arm. And it suddenly hit me in that moment that the voice we talk to ourselves becomes the voice we teach our children to talk to themselves. And it was like the world stopped. Certainly my heart did. And I remember vowing in that moment that if I survived, I would do whatever it took to understand why I was the way I was. Why did I talk to myself the way I did? And how could I learn to change it to ensure it didn't become the legacy that I left Scarlett in her head? And that was the start of like a four-year journey into why do we do the things we do? <laughs> why are we so cruel? What is it that we are so mean to ourselves about? And that's when I identified through getting coaches, through going and doing my own journey, that we actually come up with these I am statements. And these are things that aren't about what actually happened. They're about what we made it mean. And we usually have identified them by the age of seven. We've enforced them by the age of 14 and we've embedded them by the age of 21. Mine were, I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. I'm always alone. And they became the blueprint, the backstory of my life. So whatever went wrong, I would go, that's okay. It's because you're not lovable. It's because you're always alone. It's because you're not good enough. Um, So it was an expectation for me that that's where it came from. And I was like, but is that really true? I am loved. My, I've got amazing family. I've got amazing friends. I've got some of those beautiful people in the world that are you know, in my family and my network and my, you know, my friendships. So I was like, is that really fair that I'm not loved? So what is it that I'm doing that doesn't allow me to understand and accept what they're, I kind of think they're all going to disappear one day because actually they're going to go, oh my God, he's a bit weird. <laughs> Why have we spent any time with her? Um, so I kind of went in and was like, well, I'm going to go and try and identify what it is. And that led me to the three steps. When that inner critic is taking over, it's actually in a child. And they're not trying to be critical. They're trying to keep you safe. But they're a child. So they're immature. They don't know really how to help you. So actually, they just try and stop you. Um, and what they really need you to do right now is to lean in. And hold their hand and go, do you know what? The adult me's got this. You can trust me. We'll do it together and take their hand. And it's around learning. So the three steps that I learned is the first one is you can't trick the brain. So you can't just ignore it. If it's telling you that you're not good at something, you can't go, yeah, I am. (laughs) Well, you know, because it doesn't work like that. Our subconscious brain is the happiest little helper we're ever going to have. But it's flawed. It doesn't understand the difference between helping and harming. So whatever we say to it, it thinks, oh, you want to know that? I'm going to go. So if I say to it, which I regularly do, I'm really bad at public speaking, it runs back into the library of my brain and it finds all of the times I got it wrong. It loves to remind me of the fact that 25 years ago, 
I told a room full of people, about 480 of them, that Imperial Leather was a charity and I meant Imperial Cancer. It was really awkward. Um, and I've never said anything quite so stupid again, but it reminds me, you know, 25 years on, like, brilliant, thanks for that. Just don't say anything stupid. So the first thing you have to do, the very first step is acknowledge what's happening. So I can get it wrong. There are times where I don't get this right. But then what you have to do is ask yourself out loud, is there any evidence that I ever get it right? Because what happens when asking that question is that subconscious brain, your happy little helper, scurries back into the library of your brain and it finds all of the examples where you got it right. All of the times people queued at the end of your speech to talk to you and tell you what it meant to them or took the time to write into you afterwards to let you know what they'd chosen to do as a result of what you'd said. So you can look at it now and go, okay, so I can get it wrong, but I can get it right. So on this new fact base, what choice am I now going to make? And for me, this is where the third and, and personally most important step came in, which is as a biased mother, I believe that as long as my little girl is kind and she tries hard, there is nothing in the world that little girl can't do. So I asked myself, if this was Scarlett, what advice would I give her? Well, my advice would always be, be kind, try your hardest. And what's the worst that can happen? You're either going to achieve what you wanted to achieve, or you're going to learn one way that didn't get you there to enable you to try something else next time. Well, if that's the advice I'd give her, it has to be the advice I'd take. Because if not, I'm not really walking my talk. So now, whenever that happens, I acknowledge first that I can get it wrong. I ask for evidence that I can get it right. And then I ask myself, what advice would I give Scarlett? And I take the advice. So for anybody listening, follow the same three steps. I promise they work. Acknowledge what's happening. Ask yourself if there's any evidence that the opposite is true. And then where I talk about Scarlett, insert the most important person in your life. Ask yourself, what advice would you give them? Take the advice. Because actually, that's going to be where we learn. And the other thing is back yourself. Right now, you have survived 100% of the challenges life's thrown at you. That's one hell of a batting back in average. If there's anything that tells you there's a strong chance you can do this, that's the thing. Wow, Kim, there's so much to unpack in that. I am so appreciative of the way that you've made this process simple. Acknowledge you can be wrong. Find evidence that you can get it right. And then give advice to yourself as though you were the most precious person in the world and back yourself. I love that. Now, I know that if we are able to reframe, then we're less likely to be possessed by ongoing moods of pessimism or hopelessness or resentment. In fact, our prevailing attitude becomes one that's much more optimistic. And you've said in that case, the facts are your friends. And you can see your life as either a lesson, a blessing, or both. So if you're facing right now a really daunting, challenging situation, or maybe you've made a really big misstep, you've failed at something, or you've made a really big mistake, and you're trying to wrangle with, how do I move forward? How do I move forward facing this challenge? How do I move forward moving past my mistake? You can see it as a lesson, a blessing, or both. But in the midst of that situation, 
may feel really daunting. So what are, what are some of the ways that you can change your mindset so that you can begin to acknowledge the situation and understand that you can get it wrong, but there is evidence that you can also get it right? It's, it's so true. I mean, it could be so hard in the moment because you, I mean, you feel awful if you've made a mistake. I've made lots and lots of mistakes, <laughs> hundreds of them. <laughs> but it's about, it's not the mistake that defines us. It's what we do with the mistake. So it's about going back to people and saying, do you know what? It wasn't my intention to get it wrong, but it was my impact. And for that, I'm really sorry. And I'm now going to try and make it better. And because we've all had those moments, weren't we, where we, put something off and put something off. And then when we actually drag ourselves <laughs> kicking and screaming to go and have that conversation, it's never as bad as we thought. And that's because very often what happens is we're not dealing with what's happening. We're dealing with what we've made it mean. And that's because our emotional brain responds 24 times faster than our thinking brain. I had a conversation with a, a leader not long ago who had been on a Zoom call and couple of people hadn't turned their camera on. Well, by the end of my conversation with him, he was like, and they were disrespectful. I don't even know why we employ them. They're clearly hopeless. They didn't like me. And I was like, okay, it's interesting. So that's what you've made it mean. But let's pull it back a minute to what actually happened. So what actually happened is they didn't turn on the camera. Maybe we could ask a few more questions around that to understand what, what went on. So are these people normally really good employees? Well, yes, they are. And what was their excuse? They've not had time to put their makeup on. Interesting. So have they ever not turned up for work or been late for a meeting because they've not put their makeup on? He went, no, it's great. So don't take this the wrong way, but you're a man. And they probably thought you would accept that excuse. But as a woman, it takes us two minutes to put on enough makeup to come to a meeting. So that isn't really the case. If they're turning their camera off, for me, it would give me concerns that they're feeling disconnected in some way. They're putting a barrier up. Now, that might mean that they're struggling with the whole remote working. You know, we were in lockdown at the time. It might mean that they're feeling a little bit less comfortable in their space. I certainly would not be calling them out on it. It's not something where you go, well, I'm miserable. I said, but create a safe space for them. I would be reaching out to those people and saying, I don't know about you, but I'm personally really finding it hard that we don't have the face-to-face elements that we used to. We don't have those social elements. I just wondered if you felt the same, and maybe we could just have a really informal coffee, just have a chat. And so create that space. But by providing some of your own vulnerability, you create a safe space for them to feel a little bit vulnerable. Because the reality is we're all vulnerable about something. And we've been brought up to not fail, to not have a mistake, to not get it wrong. And yet that's not true. If I asked, if I said to you, anybody listening, that tomorrow morning when you wake up, you're going to have to learn how to walk or talk or run or jump or skip, you'd be overwhelmed. We'd all be overwhelmed. And yet we've done it. And we did it at our most vulnerable. So I spent a lot of time studying kids, having got a four-year-old myself. And you kind of watch a child learning to walk. And they fall over and they get back up and they fall over and they get back up. And it doesn't matter how many times they fall over. They don't sit there and go, I'm not trying anymore. I sit mum, I'm like, I'm not in. And it got me thinking, okay, why is that? What is so different about when we're children to when we're adults? And it comes down again, in my opinion, to three things. The first is 
we want to be the same as everybody else. We're human beings. We want to fit in with social animals. You can walk and talk. I want to walk and talk. And the second is we don't really know how to say no and mean it. Even a toddler tantrum runs out of steam eventually. <laughs> Even if when you're in it, it doesn't feel like it's going to. Um, and the third, but probably the most important is I've yet to see a child learning to walk that doesn't have at least one adult around them going, come on, sweetheart, you can do it. You are so close. And it made me realize that one of the things that we do with our children is we loan them our belief in them. We're very overt with it. But when we get into the adult world, when we get into the working world, we don't let people know that we're lending them our belief, even when we are. So because as human beings, we don't want to be wrong. We don't want to be stupid. We don't want to, we don't want to appear foolish. We're not going to give somebody an opportunity or a role that we think they're going to fail at because we will inadvertently look a little bit stupid. <laughs> so when we say to somebody, like, for example, when you said to me today, Kim, come on the podcast, I've borrowed your belief that I could say something relevant and useful. I'm hoping, really hoping that I do you justice <laughs> and that I come up with something that is relevant and useful. But it is that you are lending me your belief and I borrow that now. But what I also do is try and lend my belief to people. So when I'm asking them to do something, instead of just saying, would you like to do this job for me? Or could you take on that piece of work? I go the next part and go, because I know you're going to be great at this because I've seen you do X, Y, and Z. Give them that belief. Tell them why it is that you're asking them to do it, because you never know if that's going to be just the extra piece of armor that they need to allow them to be successful. Oh, it's so brilliant, Kim. Yes. Let me just say that you have already offered so much value, so much insight, so much expertise. I feel like I understood the concept of reframing and I'm still learning. So I am so grateful to you. Thank you so much. You said so much in that last segment that just rich and deep and worth unpacking a bit more. One of the things that you said is there's a difference between intention and impact. I think that is so incredibly insightful and so important. That's such an important concept that I think everyone should pause on and really think through. There's a difference between intention and impact. And, you know, through an understanding and trust of the transformational process of reframing, we can have faith that periods of decline, whether they last for a minute or months, can actually be periods of vibrancy. Um, and I think it's so important to understand the difference between intention versus impact. My intention was not to um, hold on to the mistake and the learning here but that's been the impact. And so I've been gloomy and I've impacted the relationships in my family and my friends and my coworkers because my intention was not to continue to focus on this period of decline, but I find myself doing that. And the impact is I am detrimentally impacting my relationships. So when you start recognizing that there is some sort of impact that you're having that's negative. Maybe it's because you are not reframing properly. Maybe it's that you're not acknowledging the, um, the times where you have gotten it right and you're not celebrating those and moving forward 
What can you do to snap yourself out of that situation and recognize, okay, there's a difference between intention and impact. And I need to loan or uh, take loan of someone else's belief in me, find evidence that I can do this right and back myself. Oh, it's, it's a great question because I think for me, impact and intent comes at both ends of, of the spectrum. So if you're giving somebody feedback as a leader in its constructive feedback, you may notice that the first thing that they do is defend what they were trying to do. They weren't trying to get it wrong. They weren't trying to mess up. Nobody gets up in the morning. Well, most the majority of people don't get up in the morning. And go, I wonder how to be really irritating today. I wonder how to get this wrong. So we're trying to get it right. But that doesn't mean to say that we that we don't always achieve what we're aspiring to do. So now when I give feedback, I start by agreeing what I think they were trying to achieve, what their intention was. And then go, brilliant, that's exactly what I want you to do. Now let me talk about what you did, because what you did isn't really aligned to where you were going. So you become their ally. But I also do that myself when I'm looking at, okay, what what is it my intention? What am I trying to achieve in this right now? What does good look like for me? And then what's happening right now? So actually, if that's what I'm trying to achieve, is what I'm doing heading me in that direction or is it heading me in the opposite direction? And I think it's about learning to live our lives with intention. It's like making those really conscious choices and then saying, actually, am I heading in the right direction or not? But I think crucial is also to be passionately self-compassionate. Because we beat ourselves up and we bring out every challenge we've ever done. And I loved wearing them as a hair shirt and beating myself again as something else that I'd messed up and got wrong. Um, whereas actually now I realise that, you know, as, as human beings, we are perfectly imperfect. We spend our life trying to be perfect and it's not what we're supposed to be. It's about we're supposed to keep learning. We're supposed to keep growing. My nan used to say every day is a school day and God bless her, she was right. Because we have a chance in every day to be a better version of who we were yesterday. And that's our goal. It's not to be better than anybody else. It's not to have that competition with others. It's to have that competition with you. How do I show up today and be even better than I was yesterday? And if I got it wrong yesterday, how I get to be better today is to take ownership of that to acknowledge that actually whilst it wasn't my intention to get it wrong what's my impact and for that I'm really sorry but let me tell you what my intention is because actually in doing so I invite you in to help me see my blind spots because that's the other challenge we have blind spots for a reason we're blind to them that's why they're blind spots so we have to invite people in to say can you show me where my blind spots are? When I go into a new organisation, I will say to people, if I do something really irritating, even if it's really obvious, do me a favour and let me know, because it might be really obvious to you, but I promise it's not really obvious to me. And I will continue to do it until you tell me, because it's in my blind spot. Um, and, if, and if I invite you in to help me, then I can become the best version of myself. Because if we think of all successes, we hear about these overnight successes, but they're never an overnight success. They've come off the back of a lot of hard work, a lot of lessons, a lot of getting the impact and the intention the wrong way around, but acknowledging it and learning from it. And as you know, I love a quote. And for me, one of the ones I really like is remembering that actually diamonds are just rocks that did really well under pressure. 
Oh my gosh, I love that. Diamonds are just rocks that did really well under pressure. Oh my gosh, that's brilliant. Kim, again, just so many diamonds in what you just noted. Thank you so much. And I feel like we could talk about this all day because you have offered so much incredible insight. And I literally want to have you back on to talk about the difference between intention and impact. Just that alone is so revealing and so important. But I'm going to switch topics a little bit here and talk about leadership advice. Kim, you're in the business of providing leadership advice. And certainly through your career, you've benefited from other leaders that have given you incredible guidance and words of wisdom. So what do you want to share with our audience today in terms of leadership advice that you've received that has made a really big impact on you? So I've I've had the real privilege of working with some amazing leaders over the years. And one in particular really stood out as being somebody I aspired to, to be like. And he taught me that actually as a leader, my clients are my people. So if I'm not delivering what my clients need, they're not going to buy from me, which means they're not going to work with me, which means I'm going to lose them. So if I want them to deliver the best experience to the end customer, I have to deliver that experience to them. And the only way I'm going to do that is to talk to them, to ask them, what does good look like for you? So when I go in and I talk to anybody, instead instead of saying, you know, this is how I manage, I start with, how, how can I best lead you for you to be successful? And that could be very different for you, Linda, than for the next person that I meet. And then tailor that. And remember that actually we talk about customer experience, we talk about user experience, we talk about colleague experience. We're human beings. Remember, first and foremost, what's the human experience I am trying to create? And then step into it and be authentic. You've got to take your whole self to work to lead because if you're holding bits of yourself back, people will start to spot that there is something not quite right. And therefore, instead of actually listening to what you're doing or going with that consistency, they're starting to wait for the other shoe to drop. They're, when are you going to let us know where it really sits? So I think for me, it was that piece around actually opening yourself up to the people that you lead and having the courage to, lo- to share some vulnerability. The balance is sharing vulnerability without losing credibility. So it's about making sure that, you know, you, you don't open the whole kimono. <laughs> you, just, you just share a little bit. So let them know that it's okay to not be perfect and that we are stronger together. So I guess for me, it was that really listening to people and listening to understand, not to interject. is perhaps the number one leadership skill that that gentleman taught me. What great advice to share with our entire listening audience. So thank you, Kim. I am so grateful for that. And for all of you, this is Kim Adele Platt. She is obviously just a powerhouse. She is a coach, a best-selling author, and a speaker. And to know more about Kim Adele Platt, please don't hesitate to check out Lead Hership Global. And you can learn more about Kim Adele Platt. She is absolutely one of the most inspirational 
and impactful leadership coaches available on the planet, but she is also an incredible keynote speaker. I've had the privilege and honor of seeing her on stage and she is mesmerizing. So thank you, Kim, for being with us today. And thank all of you in the Leadership Global audience for joining me, speaking with Kim Adele Platts about reframing in three easy steps. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining Leadership Global, a podcast for and about unstoppable women stepping into courage, claiming their power, and embracing bold leadership. Join us each week as we talk to a collection of inspirational women changing the world and tackling the most pressing issues we're facing today as women and as leaders. See you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.